We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. We are diving into Jonah. I know that, thanks Ricky for pointing out the, the pun in that. That was unintentional, I think, on Anthony's part. We're diving into Jonah this month. Many of us have probably heard at least some version of this story before, right? Like even if you haven't been around the church that much, we've probably seen like a little children's book around about it, or, or we've heard some kind of story about it. And often it is told as a children's tale, a children's story. And I, that's good for me because I love kids' stories. I love children's movies, especially. I grew up on the Disney kids' movies, and I haven't grown up still, so I still watch them. And they're awesome, and I love them. So be honest, how many of you, the first thing that popped in your head when we said Jonah was a whale? All right, some of you were like, I, I think Steve was like, well, we know it's not a whale. That's a trick question, right? It wasn't a trick question. Did anybody have anything other than a whale pop up in their head? Yeah, my son's name is Jonas, so when he heard Jonah, he, heard, he thought of himself. It's very vain, Jonas. Mary-Kate? VeggieTales, yeah. Yeah, the VeggieTales version of Jonah's story. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that, but besides that corner over there. Uh, but the, the people of Nineveh were slapping people with a fish, and that was their great, violent, egregious act that Jonah had to go and say something about. Yeah, and so uh, I thought of another Disney kids movie that this reminded me of, not the, slip fas- the fish slapping part, but the, the whale part, right? You guys know which one I'm talking about? There's a Disney movie where someone gets swallowed by a whale. Pinocchio, yeah. I, I grew up watching Pinocchio. I thought it was cool when I was a kid. Watched it later, and I thought it was really weird. Like, this wooden puppet turns into a real boy and then turns into a donkey at some point. Super weird. Who thinks of this stuff, right? Uh, but I liked Jiminy Cricket. And if you remember Geppetto, his father gets swallowed by a whale and Pinocchio goes and, and saves him. And do you guys remember the part when Pinocchio got really tired of Jiminy Cricket being his conscious and so he just squashes him like a bug? Does anyone remember that? It really happened. I'm not making this up. It didn't make the Disney cut, but it's in the original story. Pinocchio was rotten. He was not a good guy, not a good puppet. And he squashes Jiminy Cricket. Uh, and at the end of the story, he gets hanged. Yeah, happy, happy children's tale, right? There's a lot of Disney movies like that. In fact, Snow White. Snow White and her Prince Charming, to get even with the evil queen at the end, they have their wedding and they invite the evil queen and they give her these hot iron shoes that she has to dance in until she dies. Didn't make the Disney cut either. Um, let's see, what else? Cinderella. Cinderella, you know those fun little birds that flew around her all the time, chirping and were cheerful and singing songs? Well, they pecked out her stepsister's eyeballs. And then Cinderella assassinates her stepmother so that her father, who didn't even make it in the Disney movie, got to marry the housemaid. What happened to these stories? Disney got a hold of them, right? They got what I call Disneyfied. And, and they looked at them and they said, this isn't going to sell. Parents are going to want to take their kids to see this. And so let's gussy it up a little bit. Let's make it cute. Put in some cutesy animals that can talk and then sing some songs. 
and let's give them all of them a happy ending, right? And I think a lot of times that's what we have done with the book of Jonah. We've disnified it. And we've taken this really weird, but also really, really crazy and in-depth story that's in the Bible. And we've made it this cutesy little story with like a, a friendly giant fish that saves Jonah at one point. And we turn it into a children's tale. And maybe sometimes we get past the part with the fish or what we've called the whale. And we get to the part where then Jonah suddenly gets his act together. He repents and he goes forward and he, he tells Nineveh the thing that God wanted him to tell them. And now Jonah's the hero and Nineveh repents and they get saved. The end. And that's kind of how the VeggieTales version ends, right? But we forget that there's a fourth chapter. That's just chapter three. There's a fourth chapter where Jonah very much shows us that he is not the hero of the story. And he's sitting out there and he's angry and he's cursing God. And so I want us to jump into this story with some fresh eyes, some fresh ears, and let's go in open to read this as if we hadn't read it before. To to hear it as if we hadn't heard this story before. Because I think what's going on in the book of Jonah in these four short chapters that will be in this whole month of October, what's going on in this book is such a big picture, a bigger picture of the entire story of the gospel. It's a beautiful little micro snapshot of the whole story. And so last month, if you remember, we were were going through the book of Ruth and we saw how God had always called his people, Israel, to invite the other nations into his family. And so we're gonna fast forward through that, through history a little bit. At that time, that was the days of the judges, remember? So Israel had no king. It was a brand new nation, no king. Everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. And it was usually pretty messed up. So then you fast forward and you get, Israel starts having kings. And then they have one good one, a sort of, but he's pretty much a mess up too. And then you fast forward through that. And at this point in the story, where we're at in Jonah is there's actually a division, like a, a civil war sort of that happens in the whole clan of Israel. And so you get two tribes. There's the Northern kingdom and the Southern kingdom. And there's two different kings and they're at war with each other. And you could actually find this guy, Jonah, in Second Kings. And in the book of Second Kings, we're told that Jonah, he, he prophesies that the king of Judah, who's a pretty rotten king, that he's, he's gonna succeed, he's gonna, God's gonna bless him, he's gonna do great things. And what this king Jeroboam is doing is he's setting up the walls in his border, he's, he's attacking other nations, he's even attacking the other kingdom that they're at war with that are their brothers and sisters, and he's violent. And Second Kings tells us he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Jonah, the prophet, commends him. Then you get two other prophets that show up, Amos and Hosea, and they go, no, 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 no. No, actually, God is not pleased with this king and he will not let this succeed. And those two prophets end up being right. So right away, when we start this story, right away, when you hear the name Jonah, if you're familiar with what's going on in that context, you're already a little bit like cautious and hesitant. Something's fishy with this dude. That pun was intended, right? Like something's not quite right here. So, Turn with me to the book of Jonah. We're going to start in chapter one, obviously. 
If you look at my Bible, you can see about how far I went to get there. It's still Old Testament. You're going to pass Psalms, Proverbs. You're going to get into the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all those. Keep going. And you will find Jonah right after the book of Obadiah, which is also really short. And this is what we see. 17 verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind into the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. And meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Verse seven, Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. That's basically our equivalent of like drawing straws or flipping a coin this day. Let's cast lots and then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging the men were seized by great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There's two out of our three verses you will hear about a great fish. It's a small part of the story, which we will see more next week. But this is God's word. Father, we ask that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive your word, to be changed by your word, that your spirit would do work in us to make us look more and more like your people. And it's in your son's Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I was expecting like an uproar and laughter when I was reading that story. Um, one of my professors in seminary said that the, the book of Jonah would have come across as like this satire, like crazy comedy story to the Israelites. But you guys don't have the context, so no, no wonder you didn't laugh. So I want to give us some context. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh 
Nineveh is part of the Assyrian Empire. Okay, so the Assyrians were at odds with Israel. And at some points, they, they would fight, they would have war, they would battle. Usually the Assyrians were beating up Israel, but sometimes God would allow Israel to have victory over them too. And Nineveh was one of the big cities of Assyria, and it was a violent city. Like just, they, they were up to no good. They were crazy. They didn't have a respect and care for the dignity of human life. And so they did whatever they thought was right in their own eyes too, just like we saw that Israel did in the days of the judges. So he says, go to Nineveh. And he says, preach against it because their evil has come up before me. God's saying, I've heard about all this. It's bad. So I want you to go and tell them, knock it off, right? Verse three, Jonah got up. So that, that's step one of what God said to do. Get up. He did that. He got up to flee to Tarshish. Now that's the part you're supposed to laugh, but you don't know, you don't, you don't have a map in front of you. So let's get a map up here. And uh, this is where Jonah starts, Gath Heifer. And God says, there was a laugh. Thanks, Amy. God says, hey, go to Nineveh. Like, just take a small little trek to Nineveh. So Jonah gets up to flee to Tarshish. So he goes the opposite way to begin with, just to go to a port in Joppa. He's like, okay, I'll get up and I'll go this way. And he goes all the way across the known world to them at the time. This is as far away as he would have known that he could have gone to get away from the thing that God said to do. This was as far away as he would have known that he could have gone to get away from the word of God. Because at the time, what was believed is this area over here, they, they hadn't heard about God yet, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the Lord. I'm gonna go somewhere where not only, it's, it's so far away from Nineveh, but it's so far away from God and his word to me. So right away, if, if you weren't familiar with 2 Kings and Jonah's role in that, and you weren't already cautious of the dude, Right away, you go, okay, he's totally disobeying God. How many of you have kids? You know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm like, hey, go clean your room. And they get up, and instead, they go find a boat to Tarshish, which means they go play the Xbox or something like that, right? They do the exact opposite of what you asked them to do. So this is on a much bigger scale with not just a dad, but the God of the whole universe saying, this is what I want you, Jonah, to do. And he goes, uh, no, thank you. And he goes the other way. So we're already introduced to a problem right off the bat in this story, right? But Jonah doesn't just go to Tarshish to get away from God. Like when that plan starts to fail, he comes up with another plan to get away from God. Let's keep going. So what happens is God goes, uh, that's not gonna work for me. I told you to go to Nineveh, not Tarshish. So I'm gonna stop your plans. And so God sends this great big wind to come on the sea and starts rocking the boat. Now, who's in command of the waves and the winds? Simple answer, kids. Who, who's, who controls it? God does, right? Yeah, good job. Well done. Golden star for all the kids who said that out loud. God's in control of that, right? So it's not just happenstance that Jonah's like, uh, that's not what I want to do. I'm going to go this way. Oh, no, I ran into some trouble. And how often are you and I going about our business and we're like, man, why is life so hard right now? It may not always be because you're running away from God's plans, but I would encourage it's worth asking that question. It's worth asking that question. And what's crazy though is Jonah 
doesn't even seem bothered by it. He's down at the bottom of the boat, stretched out in a deep sleep, just taking a nap. And you got all these other people on this boat who don't know God. They're all praying to these other gods, but he's putting their lives in danger now. And what's interesting in this story is what we see in this contrast between Jonah and these people who don't know God. And it's the same thing we'll see later too in the story with another group of people who don't yet know God is they seem to have much more integrity and character than Jonah does. Jonah, who's called a prophet of God, that means he was entrusted to speak the words of God to others so that they would know what God says. This should have been a dignified man who loved and cared for other people because he knew the God who loved and cared for him. And instead, he doesn't care at all what's happening. He just wants to get away from God. And these men, they're going, all right, everyone start praying. Let's throw all of our stuff overboard. Yeah, we probably need it later, but we'd rather live, right? And so throw all of it overboard. Let's see if we can man the ship here. And then they go, wait, there's this one guy, that Hebrew guy, that foreigner that got on our boat. Where's he at? Is he safe? And they go and they find him. The captain finds him sleeping at the bottom of the ship. He's going, what is happening? How could you be sleeping at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God too. We've been praying to our gods and nothing's working. So maybe your God could be the one who saves us. Who is your God? And you have this moment where it seems like, okay, maybe Jonah is like doing right now. Because he goes, my God, he's the God who created the land and the seas. This storm, yeah, that's him. You can pray to all your gods, but they're unable to help because my God that I serve is the God over all things. And it says suddenly they had this great fear over them. Like, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble now, right? And they go, what do we do? And he goes, throw me overboard. And that sounds like such a noble thing. So now you got, okay, good. Jonah's preaching now. He's telling about the true God. And he's going, throw me overboard. Forget me, save yourselves. Save yourselves, right? And and we're starting to think like, okay, maybe Jonah's a pretty decent guy after all. Like he just messed up, he made a mistake, he took a detour, but now he's starting to set things right. And what do these men do? They go, no, 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 we can't throw this person overboard, he'll die. These people who trusted another God, not the God who created humans, had more respect and care for human life than Jonah did. And so they do everything they can first to throw everything else off the ship, they're doing everything they can, and then they cry out to Jonah's God now. And they go, we can't do anything. We're in trouble. You obviously did this for a reason. So you did what you pleased. Don't let his blood be on our hands. So they relent and they throw Jonah overboard. And what do they do after that? They're feeling sorry. They, they, they feel terrible. And so they sacrifice to Jonah's God. They call on him. They start worshiping him. Somehow, even in Jonah's disobedience, God still used him to bring these other people to himself. So they start worshiping and loving and fearing this God now. But was Jonah just being like a really good dude? Was he being selfless, sacrifice, throw me overboard, save yourselves? I think there's something else going on here. I think Jonah wanted to die. I think Jonah, who was willing to go all the way to Tarshish 
to get away from God and his word. Think about that. I want to get away from God where his word doesn't even exist. And Jonah knows, Jonah knows his people have this history and tradition. They know that everything exists because of God, that he is the one who brought life to all things. And he wants to, he thinks he can go somewhere where God's word that brings life doesn't exist. He wants to die. He wants to get as far away from the one who gave him life as possible. And he's willing to go to Tarshish. And when he sees, oh no, God's not gonna let me do that, but I don't wanna go to Nineveh. I think he's going, I would much rather die in this storm, in this ocean, than go to Nineveh. Throw me overboard. Just let me die here. And I, I don't wanna give away too many spoilers. I would love to go through this book as if we had never heard it before. But let me just tell you, this is not the only time that Jonah cries out that he wishes he was dead. So I have good reason to believe this is what's happening here. So he wants to get thrown into the sea to get away from what God called him to do, to get away from Nineveh. Why? Why is he trying so hard to run away from that? He'll actually tell us in chapter four. Again, I don't want to give us a spoiler alert. But why, it begs the question right now, as we're in chapter one and we're trying to sit in that tension and not know that answer yet, it should beg the question for us, why do we run from what God calls us to? Why do we run from the very things that God asks of us? I think there's a lot of reasons, but I wanna offer up two right now. These are two that are the most common that I have had these excuses, and they're the most common reasons I've heard other people give to me. Jonah's called to go and tell Nineveh about Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God over all creation. He's called to go evangelize. That's what that word means, to go speak the good news of God and his kingdom. And instead of doing that, he runs away. You and I are called to that same purpose. Did you know that? We're called to be prophets in that way, to go and speak the good news of God and his kingdom to the world around us. And usually I hear two reasons why I don't, that's just not me. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not someone who goes and witnesses. I don't don't do that. I am a Christian. I follow Jesus. I go to church and that's probably enough. But I don't go and share my faith with other people Two reasons I usually get. Number one, I just don't know enough about it. I'm not that, I didn't didn't go to seminary, right? I haven't read through the whole Bible yet. I haven't studied it. I don't understand it fully. I just know that I have a relationship with Jesus, but I don't understand it enough to be able to share with other people around me. I get that. I understand that. It's, It's difficult to tell someone, uh, to coach a basketball game if you've never played basketball, right? So, so I understand it on a level. The second reason I get is, you know, I just don't want to offend people. I'd rather let them see my actions and the way I live out my life and let that, let that tell them about Jesus. But I don't want to use words because I know like, you know, religion stuff, it's messy and it makes people mad. It makes people angry and I don't want to offend other people. I get that too, because I'm a people pleaser at the core. Like, I do not like it when people are upset with me or when they're just upset around me. I, I want peace or at least a, 
a surface level, what seems like peace to always be there, right? So I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to upset people. Here's the problem with both of those excuses is we throw them away when it comes to anything else. And you could just look at this year and see that that's true. And I'm talking to the church right now. I'm talking to people who say they love Jesus and use those two excuses, myself included. Because guess what? When a virus outbreak happened, everybody started sending me articles left and right on different ends of the spectrum of what they thought about it. Like suddenly everyone did all this research and had all this knowledge about a virus that never existed before. So I just don't know enough about it to share it. Well, you shared a lot about this thing no one knows anything about. Elections. I cannot tell you how, how many articles I'm getting emailed to me and sent to me all the time. I cannot tell you how many conversations I get into, how many people I know, if I even say, hi, we're gonna talk politics, right? We're, we're gonna go there and so many different facts that are sent to me that have been fact-checked that go, this is why you should vote this way or this is why you should vote that way. And there's a lot of knowledge around that. At least people think they have a lot of knowledge around what's going on there. The truth is like your limited knowledge and that is not stopping you from talking about it, is it? And I know we're not afraid to offend people. Have you guys been on social media? Seriously, with both of just those two examples, again, with COVID or with the election, nobody's afraid to offend anybody. the, The things that are being said from people who claim to follow Jesus, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. There is no sense of fear of, of offending anybody else. Why? Because I think some would say, because my fear of what else could happen is greater. Because my fear of what happens if this person gets in office or stays in office is greater than offending this person. So I just got to speak what is true, right? Why is your fear so great about a human being sitting in an oval office? Do you know, I am hearing the name Trump from conservative Christians far more than I'm hearing the name Jesus. And from liberal Christians... I'm hearing the name Trump far more than I'm hearing the name Jesus too. We're ascribing a lot of power to a human being. We're ascribing a lot of weight to a person, a lot of fear around what this person can do. But guess what? No matter who's in office come November, they cannot calm the storm. Only God can do that. Jonah did not calm the storm. God did that when he finally got Jonah's attention. Do you guys remember another story in the Bible where there's some people on a boat and a great big storm comes? You know where I'm going with this. You can see from the smile. And there's someone else sleeping at the bottom of the ship. Do you guys remember that story? It's Jesus and his friends. His disciples are on the boat. Jesus is all tuckered out from a long day of speaking to large crowds and healing people, and feeding them. And so he's taking a nap on the bottom of the ship. And they come down to him, and just like these sailors came to Jonah, they go, Master, Jesus, what are you doing? How can you sleep at a time like this? And they ask him, don't you even care about us? 
And Jesus gets up and he walks up to the top of the boat and he looks out and he says, hush. And the wind and the waves calm down. And once again, they're at peace. Remember, I I just said only God can do that. Only God, who Jonah said, is the God over the land and the sea. The God who sits above all. The God who created all things can calm the storm. And Jesus goes, let me tell you who I am. God in the flesh, come down to this earth, standing on this boat with you. Have some faith. See, a lot of people think Jonah points us forward to Jesus. Jonah only points us forward to Jesus in the way that he shows us we need a better Jonah. Because Jesus wasn't Jonah in this story. Jesus is God in the story. Why, you, you can look at that just by asking the question, why are they even on the boat in the first place? Why is Jonah on that boat? He's running away from what God said, and he's running away from the care and concern of a whole nation of people. A whole nation of people who needed to hear that God, that God knew enough and cared enough about them to send someone to them. That's why Jonah's on the boat. He's running away from that. Why is Jesus on that boat? You got to start with first asking, why is Jesus on earth in the first place? Just like God said, I heard, I heard what's going on in Nineveh come up before me. God heard the outcries he saw. As Anthony said earlier, he's not a distant deity who just like snapped his fingers. Okay, there's this creation. Let's see how that plays out, right? No, he's very active and interactive with his creation because he cares for it. And he goes, this is broken. This is wrong. Everything's a mess. There's violence, there's oppression, there's destruction. I gotta do something. And so Jesus comes in the form of a human to do what humans were supposed to do in the first place. To partner with God, like he was asking Jonah to do here. To partner with God, to show how good he is and to see that all of creation flourishes. To see that there's good, goodness and health and life to all things. That was our role as humans, to partner with God in that work. And he goes, none of them are doing it. So he takes on the form of human and he comes and that perfect partnership between God and man can now finally exist in Jesus. Suddenly there's a man who can stand on a boat and can say to the wind and the waves, be still. And so Jesus, God in the form of man, he comes and he calms the storm for them. He says, don't you have some faith? Don't you trust me is what he's asking? And listen, they still didn't fully. It wasn't until Jesus fully did what Jonah should have done that they finally start to get it. I want to fast forward to, uh, there's a verse in Matthew I think I have up here. Matthew 12. There's a bunch of people who ask Jesus, hey, show us a sign. These are religious leaders. These are people who are basically testing him. They're going like, you aren't who you say you are. Show us some signs so we'll know. And he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. It's only because you're evil that you want proof, he says, because you don't trust me. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. It's interesting. 
For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. He's talking to Jewish religious leaders, people who think they've got it all together and are following God. And he's going, that wicked nation of Nineveh, who, spoiler alert, ends up turning from their evil ways when they hear God's word, he goes, they, they are more faithful than you are right now. They repented at Jonah's preaching and look, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was called to partner with God and he failed at it. Jesus is God partnering with man. Jesus is God present here with us. Jesus is God coming to enter the storm on our behalf. Jonah says, throw me into the sea so that I'll die and I don't have to do this thing God called me to do. And Jesus says, throw me into death so that you will be saved from your sins, from your wickedness. Jesus enters into the storm fully on our behalf. He's beaten, he's whipped, he's spat on, he's mocked, nails driven through his body, thorns piercing his head, hanging from two splintery wooden beams, not able to grasp for breath, for air in his lungs. And in the midst of that, when Jonah, who didn't think Nineveh deserved God's word to come to them, Jesus is getting murdered violently, torturously, and he says, he prays for them. God, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I can't do this without spoiler alerts. Do you know at the end of Jonah chapter four, that's what God says to Jonah. He goes, listen, shouldn't I care for a nation of people who don't know their right hand from their left hand? And that's what Jesus says. They don't know what they're doing. They're so blinded and confused. They're caught up on the storm. Their eyes are fixed on the the waves crashing around them and the wind blowing around them. But they don't see me standing there in the midst of the storm with them saying, be still. Listen, I don't know what your boat to Tarshish is. All of us have it. We all have a way to run away from God right now. Might be staring at your phone when you're sitting there by yourself or when you're sitting there with your family. I don't know. It it might be diving into what's going on with the election or diving into what's going on with the virus or could be a number of different things. I don't know what your boat to Tarshish is, but God is calling you back to him. And sometimes he might even send a storm to get your attention. But know this, that God is the only one who can calm the storm for you. And he is there and present with us. Jesus, Emmanuel, we're told to call him, which means God with us. Only Jesus can calm your storm. It's not any political party. It's not your hope in your job or how you're going to cover your bills this month. It's not your relationships even with the people in your own household or or your friends around you. Those can be good things, but only God can calm the storm through Jesus. He entered in the storm on our behalf in order to do that. So I just invite you invite you to stop running away for a moment, to fix your eyes on him, and to ask him, 
to enter into the storm of your life right now. To ask him to be fully present. To ask him to allow you to experience that he's fully present. And if, if you have questions about this, if some of this isn't clicking, or if you're like, yeah, I, I think I want that, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid to let go of this thing that I put all my hope in to calm the storm. Like, like these guys were praying to all these other gods, but when they realized, no, that's not working, they turned to Jonah's God. And so if you're like, I, I don't know if I can let go of this thing, please come talk to me. I would love to continue this conversation. This is not meant to be a 35-minute TED Talk. You guys do what you want afterward. We're in community together. Let's have the conversation where we continue to point each other back to our only hope, our only one who can calm the storm, Jesus, the king of the universe. Amen?